You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. It's Monday, September 21st, 2020, just after market close in New York. This is the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I'm Ash Bennington, joined shortly by our managing editor, Edward Harrison, in the next segment. Welcome back, Ed. Thank you, Ash. A lot to talk about. I mean, just tons of things that are happening, not just in the political economy, but very volatile day in the markets. Uh, the, the Let me just say before we go into everything, I was a little bit pleased to see that uh, the Nasdaq ended out just about flat. So, you know, it was interesting to look at how the markets ended, that they didn't end on the lows or anything like that. So um, we'll, we'll see what happens tomorrow. Yeah, it's one of those days where you need to be an optimist to make the point to say off the day's uh, trading lows. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, a lot of stuff that's happening in the background, supposedly, that is influencing the markets, that are making the markets move in the direction that they're moving. You know, we're talking about uh, oil. Uh, we're talking about gold, silver. We're also talking about equities and uh, and bonds. But I think that everyone's talking to what's happening in Europe in particular with the second wave of coronavirus cases and oil in particular taking a hit as a result of that. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Britain now doubling every seven days the number of COVID cases. Prime Minister Boris Johnson to chair a COBRA meeting. We've got a surge in Spain, regional government officials in Madrid requesting access to the army to help them fight uh, the virus and additionally uh, a surge in Holland as well. And unfortunately, we've had another member here uh, of our Real Vision team diagnosed with the virus, our editorial intern, Bryce Sukoli, uh, who I spoke to earlier in the day. Yes, Ash, I had heard that you wanted to talk to, about his experience at college, uh, but unfortunately, it's become a little bit more involved in that. Yeah, exactly. Let's take a look at the clip. Bryce Sukoli, Real Vision editorial intern coming to us from the University of Miami. How are you feeling, Bryce? Hi, Ash. Uh, I'm feeling pretty good today, but I just did find out today that I got uh, diagnosed with COVID-19. Um, I haven't been feeling well since Thursday or Friday of last week. This is a Monday today. Um, I actually took two tests and my third one came back positive. The first two came back negative. Um, so it was a little bit of a shock to say, um, but I'm definitely managing it well so far. So what happened? How did you know you were sick? So on Thursday or Friday of last week, I just had a little bit of a sore throat, a uh, cough here and there, maybe once an hour or so. And, um, but Saturday morning I woke up and just felt like I got hit by a truck. Uh, I could barely get out of bed all day and was just sleeping pretty much the whole day. Had a slight fever, chills, body aches, muscle aches, cough, sore throat, headache, pretty much just not a great time. Well, we're obviously glad to hear you're feeling better. Bryce, tell us what's happening right now on campus. How widespread is this? What's going on? What's the feeling of the place where you are right now? So um, right now, I'm actually a completely remote student. Uh, I am in Miami currently, but I take all my classes from my house where I live. 
um, on campus. From what I hear, it has been um, virtually lifeless. There's not too much going on on campus. Uh, as a school, we've had 412 cases total with 127 of them active right now. So uh, as our student body is about 10,000, I would say the school is doing a pretty good job of keeping it under control. What's the learning environment there like, Bryce? I mean, are, do you feel like you're getting kind of the, the education you need to get? I mean, obviously coping with the virus, but also trying to figure out how this impacts your career, uh, your future, and uh, the whole learning experience of college. So uh, it's, honest, it's honestly uh, very different. Uh, my first two and a half, two or so years, um, we were fully in person. There was no COVID-19. And then once March hit last year, we got sent home and had to do Zoom classes. Uh, coming back this year, they gave us the option whether or not to take online, which I took. Um, but it's definitely an adjustment and it remains to be seen, in my opinion, how this pans out in the long run, if it will affect my education and my career at all. Yeah. So how are people feeling at the school? What's the, what's the atmosphere they're like? What's the social life like? Are people out? Uh, what's the, just the general feeling on campus? Um, social life has definitely taken a hit um, this semester. Uh, Miami uh, isn't really, we don't really have, it's not really a typical college town that where there's um, bars people go to every weekend. Uh, it's more of the club scene, and those have been shut down in Florida for months at this point. So um, it's been definitely um, really different. Yeah. And perhaps most important, are the students there taking this seriously? Are they maintaining social distance? Are they following quarantine? Uh, are they doing what they need to do to protect themselves and other people from this disease? Uh, yeah, I'd say for the most part, um, students are doing what they should be doing. Um, there's been no crazy outbreaks yet. Um, hopefully there isn't, but, uh, I think everybody here is responsible and is doing what they should be. Yeah. Bryce, any final thoughts? Um, final thoughts. Um, I just think that as a community, um, both as a university and as a global community, we need to continue our efforts to combat the virus in any way we can. Listen, Bryce, you uh, get some rest. Take care of yourself. And we really appreciate you joining us. Thanks, Ash. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Yeah, obviously a challenging situation. Ed, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously the first thing I'm thinking about is Bryce and his family, uh, family and friends specifically, and hoping he gets better, well, as quickly as possible. But uh, I'm also just thinking how it hits home because we know someone that this is happening to, not just in terms of coronavirus, but the concept of university uh, during a pandemic and with coronavirus. I mean, all of it coming together in a very personal way. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I should add, by the way, that Bryce is at the end of the call, I asked him if he wanted to review the video. He was like, no, dude, I got to go. I'm going to a class. So I didn't drag him out of bed to do that interview. Uh, listen, Bryce is a terrific young guy and uh, fortunately he's in good health and hopefully he'll be back to full steam soon.
Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's just a really tough slog because I remember we were talking to him about doing a segment like this, telling us what it's like at university. And he was saying, you know, I don't know when I'm going to be able to do it because I'm taking these exams over the weekend and so forth. I mean, it's a totally different experience that he's experiencing there. No partying whatsoever, uh, no social experience, everything that is remote. Interestingly, I saw something on Axios today. Uh, about this. Uh, there was a poll. It said that 59% of people who attended classes in person say it was the right choice for the campus to reopen compared to just 42% who have not. So Bryce is in the, in, in the 42% uh, versus people who actually are getting a much more sort of real college experience. Uh, more of them say actually, okay, yeah, it was the right thing to, to reopen. But in both cases, you know, of forty percent are not saying it's the right thing to do to actually be there. Yeah, the other statistic from the Axios survey that I thought was interesting that uh, they did a, uh, the survey question was removing many temptations of campus life has made it easier to focus. Sixty percent said they are learning less. Six percent said they are learning more. Yeah, so I mean, uh, there are a lot of different ways that you can go with this. I, I think we started getting into this when we were talking about uh, coronavirus cases increasing in Europe. Uh, we have our own specific uh, case where, uh, you know, someone's in, on campus getting coronavirus. It, you know, it, the long, the long hard slog is with us. I mean, it's not going away. Uh, we're we're really in the thick of it. The best thing that we can say is 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 that we, we know how to deal with the virus better. Um, I think that, you know, the mortality rate's down, but it's going to continue to be a problem that we have to adjust to for some time to come. Yeah. And I think to come back to your central thesis over the last several months, this being the key time, the September, October timeframe. In fact, you were talking about how uh, there was going to be an increase in volatility. And here we are. Yeah, I, uh, exactly. So, I mean, let, let's go into that because uh, that's uh, what I was thinking about. Another Axios piece that I saw today that gave me some thought to piggyback off of, I don't know if you remember, but I was saying in the June timeframe, I wrote a, a post at Credit Write-Downs on June the 16th saying the recession is over. Uh, the, and the way that I was looking at it was that the NBER, that's the National Bureau of Economic Research, said that there was a recession that began in February based on just a massive decline. Uh, they didn't wait for more. It was just clear that there was a recession much earlier than normal because of how massive the decline was. I feel like the uptick that we've seen is similarly large enough so that we know that actually we are out of recession. So that I said this already three months ago now. And so the Axios piece that I'm talking about is one from Felix Salmon, where he says, you know, the consensus now is that the recession is over. And the question is, is what does that mean? Uh, for me, the first thing that it means is, is to the degree that you're a bullish per person, uh, you're looking at the reopening rally as being uh, uh, part of that, the recession being over, uh, means that the reason that you've seen the upside since June is because people are rallying on the back of uh, the recession being over. Um, and so, but now the question is, is where, where do we go from here? And I think this is where the volatility comes into play. This is what I'm saying is, is that I felt like the, di the differential from June to September and October is enough that we're going to get a lot more uh, uh, clarity in terms of 
where earnings are going, what the steady state is for the economy going forward, irrespective of the fact that the virus is with us. This is the time, uh, especially given the political economy in the United States uh, with the election on November the 3rd. Yeah, and now the uh, additional challenge uh, politically with the uh, with the passing, unfortunately, of Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, over the weekend. And that adds a, another dimension. Obviously, it's a, it's a difficult time for the country, a respected jurist who served uh, for decades on the high court. But it's 2020. It's an election year. And like everything else, this adds uh, another layer to the political uh, calculus. Yeah. And uh, I would say that I could never have imagined how volatile. I don't know if you know uh, that there was an earthquake in California but you know we've had we we had earthquakes we we you know we've had uh, uh, we've had floods we've ha we've had uh, fires we've had um, all sorts of hurricanes it's just I mean it's unbelievable 2020 is the year of apocalyptic type of activity I I can't wait until it just uh, calms down and we get uh, beyond this this level of volatility but irrespective. We knew that we were going to have some volatility just from a political economy perspective going forward, and I and I think also from a market perspective, given uh, you know what the long range out, outcome is. But all this extra volatility, including Bader Ginsburg, adds to the sense that you know November third is a big day. Uh, that things will change dramatically there, potentially the tone of the market as well. Yeah, and it appears that we could be in for some significant. Uh, battling on the floor of the United States Senate even before November third. Yeah, definitely. Now, I, you know, uh, let, let's uh, gloss over the whole uh, part about the political economy and think of it just from a purely market perspective, because this is the the, Sam, the Felix Salmon part that I find very interesting. Uh, he talks about, and you, you and I, we've talked about this before. Yeah, uh, we talk about the City uh, Economic Surprise Index. He's talked. He talks about the surprises. He says that uh, uh, he talks about the Fed. He says that the Fed, uh, back in June, they expected that uh, when the year ended, we would have 9.3% unemployment and the economy would, would shrink 6.5%. Now, today, uh, uh, with coronavirus uh, deaths still at their June levels, the Fed is even more, op is more optimistic than they were in June. So they see a 7.6% number instead of 9.3, and only a 3.7% decline instead of a 6.5. Still a very large decline, but you can see that the numbers have gone up. And uh, Salmon puts it in perspective. He says that's in 3 million extra jobs and more than $600 billion in economic activity over and above what the Fed expected just three months ago. And so I'm trying to cast this from a bullish perspective in terms of from June to September, that's sort of the, uh, that's where the Fed's gone. That's also where Wall Street has gone. That is, you know, uh, some of the, the fuel for the fire for um, equities to rise over that period of time. Yeah. And we've spoken about this uh, in the past. Obviously, we talked about it today. I I'm wondering if you have thoughts about the, the almost manic depressive nature of this market, uh, overestimating uh, in one direction, overestimating a snapback. What are your thoughts about the trajectory of the recovery now that we seem, as, uh, as Felix points out, to be out of recession? Yeah, I, this is going to uh, be a long-winded answer. I think that... Um, the best way for me to think about it is in terms of uh, jobless claims. 
because I, we talk about this a lot, initial jobless claims. I'd been pounding the table since April that initial jobless claims that were being put out were being, they were using a, a, a uh, an, not an arithmetic, but a, a multiplicative factor in order to deal with, uh, you know, a, a, a jump scale increase in jobless claims. And that was just distorted. Uh, five months later, four, four and a half months later, we got a, a change based upon that. And so to me, that gives you a sense of how difficult it has been to estimate what's going on. The data are all over the place. It's very difficult to really get a, a handle on what's happening. And so I fully understand that people might move in one direction uh, excessively. So we did get to a point where there was a lot of pessimism about the numbers uh, in an extreme way, but I can understand that. But yeah. equally, I believe that, uh, you know, when we have the, out, the, the surprises to the upside because we were too pessimistic, we're going to get the same in the reverse. So the improvement that we're expecting now, I think, is starting to get to the point where it's overdone. That is, is I'll give you an example. Wall Street, you know, uh, quarterly GDP growth, they thought in April that we're going to see a bounce back in Q3 of 13%. By June, that number bounced up to 18%. Now it's 25%. So to me, that 25% represent sort of the high water mark in terms of uh, we're really bullish. I think that the numbers for Q4 in particular are going to underperform relative to expectations and maybe even Q3 at this point. So uh, I think that's my long-winded way of saying that we really went up uh, in terms of, uh, you know, um, exceeding expectations. Now we're going to move and mean revert in terms of exceeding expectations. Yeah. You know, as you pointed out from the initial jobless claims filing coming out of uh, Department of Labor, we've never actually seen swings this dramatic before. And that's precisely the reason why the, the factoring uh, of those uh, of those claims wasn't able to be adjusted properly. And you were way ahead of the curve on pointing that out before the Department of Labor actually adjusted the figures. Right. Yeah. And, and so it just points out that uh, we we don't have the systems, we haven't had the systems to deal with something of this magnitude. And it, it makes it clear that, uh, you know, you're going to get this, this, this level of volatility as a result of that. But uh, if people think that that's over, they're mistaken. I think that there's more to come in terms of the surprises that are ahead. And for me, the most important thing is, is that the surprises ahead are going to be in a world of more information as opposed to less. Before we got surprises ahead because you know companies were saying no, we're not going, we're not going to uh, give you our earnings numbers. We're not going to make any forecasts. But now increasingly they're going to tell you more information, and then we'll have to see whether or not they make those those estimates or whether they underperform or overperform. Yeah. You know, and to precisely that point, U.S. equity markets, uh, S&P 500 closed off today uh, about 1.2 percent, settling below uh, the uh, 33 uh, handle, which it lost at 32.81 today. Yeah. So, you know, looking forward, uh, we're, we, we have the stake in the ground, September, October, where we're saying that 
there's going to be volatility. That doesn't necessarily mean that stocks will go down a lot or even permanently. We've already had a drawdown of over 10% on the NASDAQ, uh, but it's not clear to me that that's going to continue over the longer term. Uh, however, I believe that the real economy data that we get, the earnings data that we get now over this month and next month, and including all of the uh, political economy uh, uh, fallout from the election here in the United States, all of that will combine to tell us whether or not uh, we were overbought uh, over, you know, through the August timeframe or whether or not uh, we can continue to power forward. I tend to take the view that the the numbers were are, are we got ahead of ourselves too much, and it's going to be very difficult for us to expect more upside. But I'm open to the possibility that 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 we could see upside. Yeah, on the Nasdaq, uh, losing less today than the S and P on a percentage basis, off about zero point one percent to settle ultimately at the ten thousand seven seventy eight level on the Nasdaq. Yeah, I thought it was interesting, actually, when you looked at the correction today, most of it was in the Dow, uh, yeah. less of it was in the S&P, and the least was in uh, was in uh, the NASDAQ. And also, by the way, we saw Microsoft with a great uh, uh, merger announcement, their second biggest uh, takeover uh, in history, and also Nikola, uh, the chairman, uh, stepping down, the guy who founded the company, you know, th their stock was down like 20% today. So a lot of things are happening out there, but uh, somehow the NASDAQ was able to uh, do, relatively speaking, pretty well. It, it, to me, it points out that it's not a done deal that this rally is over, but we are going to see more volatility. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Yeah, and something of a reversal of a trend or the pattern in terms of the distribution of the downside uh, on a day where there are losses. Right. Yeah. So um, I, I find the whole Nikola thing very interesting in terms of the bezel that uh, if it turns out to be that Nikola is completely fraudulent in some capacity, uh, it will be a, uh, a watershed in terms of how to think about some of these, these uh, market darlings that uh, ha have seen their valuations vault upward. Yeah, and you know the CEO of uh, Nikola, obviously a, a very sort of uh, powerful and charismatic figure, someone who had been, uh, who's, who personally had gotten out in front of the rise uh, and had been a major factor uh, I think it's fair to say, in the company receiving the level of attention that it did. So uh, his withdrawal from the scene today, huge news. Yeah, definitely. You know, uh, we. Um, I, I think it would be interesting, you know, to see what some of the people who are short, short sellers, people who uh, are looking at it from a different direction are thinking. One guy who I'd like to see on the Real Vision platform coming forward, and I'm working behind the scenes to see if we can do something about it, is Jim Chanos. What does he think about this this market? Uh, because uh, he had a lot to say uh, during the great financial crisis before. You know what? Uh, he was also a guy who uh, was onto uh, the frauds during the uh, WorldCom days. What does he see right now? 
I, I'd, I'd love to, to, to find out what he's talking about, where he thinks that there might be uh, some short selling opportunities in this market. Is it the, num- the, the places that we're talking about now or yeah. does he see a, a different locus of bezel that uh, that has been taken? Yeah, I would I would love to hear his insights in terms of the specifics and also just generally his framework, how he's looking at these markets, how he's thinking about it, how he's assessing this time that we're going through right now. Uh, Jim Chanos, of course, has been on the platform before with Jim Grant, a terrific interview, uh, but it would be great to have him back. Yeah, and and you know the point is 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 that uh, you, you you're getting in front of a freight train when you're dealing with uh, some of these companies. It's very difficult to deal with markets when they're parabolic in this way. And and by the way, let me just say as well as I say that I'm thinking about uh, an interview I did with Ben Anker, who uh, t- earlier today this will come out on Thursday. He's the uh, ass- the head of asset allocation at GMO. That's the the firm that Jeremy Grantham founded. Very interesting comments he has to say about value versus growth, uh, about Tesla in particular. Uh, you know, he talks about we talked about Amazon, we talked about Apple. Great conversation. It really helps for me. You know, put in perspective how someone who has a sort of longer term value investing time frame how they're looking for it. Let me just um, give you the the sort of the fifty thousand foot view. Is is that he thinks that uh, you know right now. Uh, the differential between growth and value is as extreme as it has been since uh, the dot-com bubble. So there's an opportunity in that. Uh, Very good conversation. Uh, I think that people will be very interested in seeing that. Yeah, that's obviously the the value versus growth is a a topic that we've been interested in here at Revision for some time, and it is a, a fascinating one. And I would just add to jump back on the short seller uh, idea recently had Mark Cajotes on the platform uh, talking with Raul about the mega trends that he sees happening right now in the space. Yeah, uh, it, it's funny uh, as as we're closing this segment out, it, just a number of things are jumping out at us in terms of what's on the platform. Uh, it jumped out at me that uh, we haven't even mentioned the fact that we are now into the beginning. Today is the first day, in fact, uh, Ash, of our content campaign where we're talking about how have things changed? Have have things changed forever? Have things changed permanently is the real question. Um, And we we lead it off with Rao. He has an update in terms of the unfolding. That's his view of uh, how this whole uh, thing is playing out in three parts. You had the liquidity phase. You have the hope phase, which he believes we're in now, potentially moving toward the so-called insolvency phase. That's where the shakeout will happen. And uh, very compelling uh, piece that he uh, he did. That's the first piece in in this this content campaign we have. It's going to run for the rest of this week and then next week. Ben Inker is a part of that. I told him that you know we're looking at it from that framework. And so very good discussions we have with uh, commercial real estate from uh, Deloitte tomorrow. Uh, a lot of good conversations coming up on the platform going forward. Yeah, and of course, uh, I'm continuing to cover the crypto beat uh, closely. I've got a piece out today uh, with Jeff Dorman that's really terrific uh, of Arca uh, talking about uh, talking about the digital asset market that I thought was really his framework. I thought was really something that was quite compelling uh, and an interesting way of just slicing up the space and thinking about it. Uh, and uh, so I think a good piece as well. So that's uh, that's all for me today. Uh, just hoping that uh, Bryce 
has a strong road to recovery. Um, looking forward to seeing how my thesis uh, holds up over the next uh, two months. Uh, and uh, that's pretty much all that's on my mind today. Hey, Ed, before I let you go, though, I've got to ask you. European bank consolidation stories. What do you think about this, man? I mean, UBS and Credit Suisse, uh, Deutsche Bank and Commerce Bank being rumored. I mean, this is uh, this is not coming from a position of strength, is it? No, you know, and uh, I, I find it interesting. Um, I don't have a strong view as yet. I, I asked Ben Inker about this, and he had an interesting, somewhat contrarian take. And I think he was looking at it in a, a completely um, uh, 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 an investor's take that is 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 that when uh, stocks are beaten up, when sectors are beaten up, the, uh, sometimes there are opportunities there. Uh, the, things overshoot. Maybe the, uh, we've gotten into that section of uh, the market for the financials. I thought that was a very interesting take. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm interested to see what people think of that interview in particular. So I'm still I'm still noodling on that right now in terms of how to think about Europe versus the United States, European banks versus American banks, and then the financial sector as a part of value versus growth in, in terms of that dichotomy. Um, he had some interesting things to say about stripping out banks, actually, when they do um, you know, those kinds of exercises for uh, other reasons. But uh, that, that's sort of in the back of my, my mind when, when you ask that question. So I don't have a real answer, unfortunately, to give you. But I think it's, I think it's really interesting, honestly, and very interesting from a regulatory perspective, Credit Suisse and, uh, and uh, uh, UBS. Yeah, it's certainly an interesting start to the conversation, and we're going to be watching it very closely here on RVDB and elsewhere on the platform. Ed, thanks for joining us. Good to talk to you, as usual, Ash. Bryce, feel better soon. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.